Okay, so welcome to the AMA. Uh, to start, uh, I usually ask every speaker to start by giving a little self-introduction, uh, just like a quick summary of your career, what you tend to work on, and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess to make it quick, uh, I'm an environment artist at Heartsuit Labs in Seattle. Uh, been around for almost about 10 years, kind of around the game dev space. Uh, did a lot of freelance stuff over the past few years doing 3D and used to work at Sony in San Diego a long time ago and briefly at Midway. Um, but yeah, uh, here in Seattle at Hardsuit uh, Labs, they're in West Seattle. Uh -huh. um, so Hardsuit Labs is working on an unannounced title right now, right? Right, yeah. So I've been at the studio for about a year. We're working on a title that we can't say yet. And um, is it 2D, 3D? <laughs> based off of the job descriptions from what we're hiring for, it's 3D. And okay. we are using Unreal Engine. <laughs> that as much has been public. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not highly classified. Yeah. Um, neat. So you've been uh, working in and out of games like for around 10 years now. Uh, how did you get started? In games, like what? When was the first time the profession caught your eye, and then how what was like your first professional dip in the field? Um, so I would say maybe in like my last year in high school, a PR from an art college visited and gave his thing about joining the art college. It was a Platt College in San Diego, and um, mentioned that. There were a few graduates from that college that joined Sony uh, and showed some videos and pictures of what they did. And I guess that kind of did it for me to join that college. And uh, while I was in that college, I was studying in 3D animation, or at least like aiming for that. Uh, and around that time, Midway, like a year before they closed down, uh, was looking for game testers or focus testers and I tried that out for a bit. Um, I don't know if that was even like a professional type of job, but more of just whoever's available after hours or on the weekends, just to kind of give input on the games. Uh, I just did that for a bit. That lasted for like four months, but uh, span yeah. between like, yeah, four months. So it's like a little part-time thingy. Maybe, yeah, part-time or just like on call. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and the, by testing, were you doing a lot of technical testing, with, like bug hunting, or was it more like they, you were a play tester? I want to say play tester. So they had mm -hmm. uh, features in the game that I think they just wanted to have um, people outside of the studio to check it out and see if it felt comfortable for them before mm -hmm. they released it. Um, that so sounds neat. It was, so it was like, pretty cool. In a... I, I, there are like different ways of doing like playtesting and getting data and the most formal way like if you talk to a usability researcher like they will get super scientific they will use all sorts of like basically science jargon to like organize these what they call studies and they're like we have a cohort of users who are returning and so like we can get their feedback and their impression of the game over time and then we have a different recurring pool of users who are like 
always seeing the game from a new face, from a fresh new perspective. And so, like these, every that pool is comprised comprised of like one time playtesters, blah blah. And so, like that's like the most formal end of it. It sounds like that studio, they're just like we we should be doing playtesting. We don't really have the means or interest of going taking it that far. So we'll just pay a few people informally to be one of our our testers. <laughs> Yeah, it was testers. kind of, yeah, I, I can kind of see where they're coming from with that idea. I think um, because they've been working, so the two games that I tested on was the TNA Impact game and Blitz. Uh, mm -hmm. One was a wrestling game and the other was a football game. Not quite like Madden, but a football game. Um, and I'm guessing that what players are expecting has probably changed over the past few years. <clears throat> so yeah um, yeah and if you're a small team that's probably the most that you can do too in terms of yeah. testing yeah uh so i guess like especially for that tna game um i guess they want to see how it would be comfortable for players who either are familiar with the franchise or not but at the same time can get comfortable playing a wrestling game that could be a bit different than the usual wwe type mechanics do you remember how that project did <laughs> like was it a success for them did they make a profit i'm just curious uh i want to say yes but uh, at the same time so when that game came out and blitz came out um the reviews are fairly okay i think there was like six or seven out of ten but at the mm -hmm. same time they were in that phase of shutting down so midway shut down and the mortal kombat franchise moved over to nether realms mm -hmm. um so like literally like after that uh when i was done testing with them like i wanted to continue but they didn't have any after and the next game that they were working on was mk versus dc and that was more towards the uh midway in chicago branch um mm -hmm. or at least their branch in chicago and when that happened i think that was when the studio just shut down and there was a brief moment until Nether Realms popped up with another Mortal Kombat franchise or game. So when you applied for that art school, uh, did you have a habit of just like drawing a lot in high school? Uh, kind of just to doodle. Um, but I knew I wanted to like be an artist or animator at some point, but just didn't know exactly how to go about doing it. Um, but yeah, I kind of sketched around and doodled a bit. Had a fair share in like video editing. But yeah, mm -hmm. when I was there. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to go on a tangent, but you can, I'll let you finish. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, just didn't know how to go about doing that. And when I was there, it, it at least kind of um, steered me toward a direction that I wanted, but gave me some chances to test out other fields to see if it would be a good fit for me um so i've heard a lot of art students who have had friction with their families like they can't convince their like parents to see it as a viable career choice did you ever run into that kind of friction yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah so i grew up around a lot of friends that either went to the navy like their parents were from the Navy. It was pretty much a Navy house housing area mm. or San Diego. There's like a Navy base there and kind of grew up around that um, culture, I guess. 
uh, it was totally risky. Didn't know what I was going to do after I graduated. So when that midway thing was done, like I know I did an internship just for like one month. And then after I graduated, uh, the internship was just for like a small educational game. Um, but like after I graduated, didn't have anything lined up. Just was a little bit worried if all that time was worth it. Um, but yeah, it, starting out, it was definitely kind of, uh, I guess, scary, because just not sure if it's worth the time to spend on like portfolio stuff or hoping that you'd grab the job that you want. Yeah, that's probably like a. Um, so as you were looking for, so after you graduated, what what's that like? Uh, did you wait? Is there a period where you just didn't have any work lined up and you were kind of trying to find out what to do? Yeah, yeah, that's happened a lot. Uh, I, I graduated at Platt College around late May, and uh, the the month after I graduated, like around June, uh, just was applying around. I, I do remember working at an unpaid internship. Just did that for like two weeks. Just wasn't worth it. It was for like graphic design, and I thought it, I would be doing some 3D stuff, but it just didn't turn out right or the way I was expecting. And tried to do like volunteer work with other projects, and just things didn't go the way that I was expecting. It, it just kind of got me upset a bit around that time because like I had an animation portfolio, and this was around 2009 when there weren't that many opportunities around an yeah. animation. Yeah, the animation field. Yeah, yeah. And the animation field was um, very competitive. So um, yeah, I do remember one of the last few things I did was apply for an internship at Sony. And I think one of the descriptions was that you'd have to be a student still or a recent graduate. And mm -hmm. I, I just tried it out, applied, or sent my resume over. I think it was connected through my college, but I just sent them my resume and you know you uh, didn't technically qualify yeah just because i thought i was either yeah i wasn't a student anymore um, yeah but luckily i was able to get an on-site interview and was brought on around july um That's at the sony branch it was, so it I, have was a, a risk. I have a friend who went to a similar thing so like she uh wanted to go to art school but she ended up not going to art school because her parents talked her out of it and she's like well i want to do game stuff so she picked computer science and then mm -hmm. uh after graduating uh she gra i think she graduated at a weird time like in december instead of the summer and so she had trouble getting finding work at first and then she saw an opportunity for an internship and even though like she was some months out of school and she went through the entire internship process and they're like, we're going to, we want to hire you. And then they're like, wait, you're not a student. And they rescind their offer. <laughs> it was oh, so no. bad. And no. I, I told her to like, keep asking them like, Hey, they wanted to hire you. They couldn't because of a technical reason. You should make them feel bad about that. Like just make them like almost like the, the way that you like the sad puppy eyes make people feel bad <laughs> like yeah. just say hey can i like get a job in a different team and just like keep reaching out to them eventually that she did get one uh they reached out to her and, and like a team 
they found a team that was interested in hiring her full time, uh, and so it kind of, and right now she's still working there and she just got promoted. That's good. Uh, yeah, so it's got a happy ending to the story. <laughs> but <laughs> I do think like it's it is pretty common to like first of all, there's a lot of students, especially in this community, who do graduate and right now is graduation season mm-hmm. without work lined up. And there is like that struggle of getting your first job after a while. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is yeah. It is kind of that battle between getting experience when you don't have it and it's either like you do a lot of volunteer work or just have some products to show for it. Yeah. Um, How big of a difference yeah. do you think your, your set projects had? Oh, in college? Like your volunteer work, any unpaid work, any other like non-professional projects, like how, how many did you have? And do you like, do you think that they were like huge game changers in terms of getting you hired? Um, I want to say like, uh, so that one month internship, uh, I guess just having that there, uh, it was a very small one. I, I think it wasn't even out around that time, but just having that there was good. Uh, most of my pieces on my portfolio were all animation stuff and it wasn't even like great animation, but it was just like a, a big chunk that, um, there was a good portion of it that, or of them that weren't even part of my schoolwork like I just wanted to throw in some animations and try it out mm-hmm. um, and I, I guess it caught the art director's eye at Sony um, but yeah uh, when I was at there at Sony just working on this was for Mod Nation Racers for the PSP um, oh neat it, it was kind of like cool franchise. it's like um, the way I explain it, it's like a little big planet Mixed with Mario Kart. With Mario Kart, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much great. It. It's a great franchise. It was cool. Yeah, I wish it would still continue. Um, they did one and another one after. Um, but yeah, when I joined them, I was mainly working on like optimization and less on the animation side, more towards just optimizing. Almost like technical artwork. Yeah, kind of like. Just going through cleaning up like asset files and making them a little tighter fit pretty much like the grunt work so um i think it kind of connects with what i did at my previous internship the one one month one it was just pretty much just uv mapping and making low poly stuff and Mm -hmm. when i joined sony it was like the same thing uv mapping optimizing and creating low poly lod's and small models um so the animations that you made were 3d animations yeah they were done cool. in Maya and Motion Builder, and fortunately, Sony at the time were using, or they were using Motion Builder. I think they still are, but mm-hmm. it's like an animation program or for mocap. So just so basically, those side projects were proof that you had experience with the tools that they were using, and then the work that you got was just using those tools every day. Yeah, and I I, I think that might be, or trying to like turn it into an advisor my two cents for that yeah. um, having descriptions to show what you did on your past projects kind of can kind of relate when you when it comes to like applying to internships or other jobs where they're expecting you to know a certain program or a certain workflow especially and, for art like it seems like tools are such a big piece of the puzzle um, 
I yeah. usually even even kind of as a programmer, like at like any job posting will list out. We need someone with this much experience with this tool, and so usually my resumes. Like first of all, I I have I usually come up with a specific resume for each job that I'm applying for, mm -hmm. um, and but most of them I have always reserve a section for. Here are the tools that I'm good at in order of best to worst, um, and because those are like some of the big keywords that people want. And I once had a recruiter, I once had a recruiter say, uh, you should put more of the keywords that we're looking for in there because. Sometimes people just do a control F, like a search on your file. And if they don't find it, they just move on to the next one. <laughs> so I think mine's missing AAA in there. <laughs> <laughs> but th that's actually, yeah, I can see that. Uh, what is it? It takes like a, a recruiter will see someone's resume for like 10 seconds or less than that. Or maybe yeah, especially if they, especially if they're a big company and they just get so many to sift through. Yeah, and, um, I do wonder myself back then if it was more of like a portfolio call mixed with resume. So like, if there's things that'll catch their eye, they'll look at the portfolio, and if it gets them to kind of like pause for a bit, then I guess that's yeah. a good sign. Uh, so, uh, what what about after that Sony opportunity? What were some of the other projects that you worked on? That was kind of like, um, not I wouldn't say downfall, but things that just I just peak. ended up doing a bunch of <laughs> kind of yeah, like <laughs> the, the peak, like oh I broke in, I, I felt like I was over, like I was done, but no, I was far from done. Um, they didn't bring me in full time. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was one. Um, the studio had a layoff like the year before, so I, I guess around that time they just didn't have a need for somebody new full-time. Um, uh -huh. So after the internship, I took a bit of a break, maybe like two weeks or three. But uh, if you, if they around. did, if they did uh, ask you to join full-time, what would that have looked like? Would it have been immediate or would it, you have to had to wait for a while? Like assuming it was like a summer internship, they would, there's a possible, like my experience with summer internships is Usually the job offer is for like after the student graduates. <laughs> so it's usually like a year later uh, for the job offer. If they were asking me to do it immediately, I wouldn't mind just because I wasn't in college anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did, I had not had to, but um, I signed up for like a college trip or a trip that when I was in college that happened like right after the internship. So mm -hmm. when that ended, I went to that trip. Um, and then when I came back, uh, it was overseas. And then when I came back, kind of was trying to get back into hiring or not hiring, but uh, applying around. Yeah. And um, one of the last things I do remember talking to the art director was that uh, if I wasn't able to get brought on, like I was curious about the QA side at Sony. And I, I think it was kind of awkward or kind of odd for him to hear that just because it felt like it was going backwards and it was so mm -hmm. uh like i applied around for artist jobs and couldn't find any so kind of looked around for freelance jobs and uh, the iphone market was booming and also applied to do qa at sony and uh, both came around the same time so uh, there was a client 
through the Unity forms that was looking for a 3D artist, just through freelance. And I was able to do that with him for a bit, uh, just doing like low poly models and creating low poly aircrafts. And around that time, uh, Sony or the agency that was working under Sony uh, called Nelson Staffing uh, called me up for like, training for game testing at Sony. Uh, so did that and kind of was slowly getting my way in the QA side at Sony. Um, so it was kind of like an interesting balance of trying to do freelance 3D on the sidewall uh, mm -hmm. doing QA. Uh, one thing led to another. I was, and I was like doing more freelance stuff, but at the same time, overtime was kicking in like crazy at Sony. And um, I've heard stories of it before. And I remember during my internship that like a coworker of mine who was a character artist used to do QA and uh, would warn me or at least like let me know ahead of time that there would be overtime. But it didn't really hit me until I was in QA that it was just hard trying to like balance the two of doing QA stuff, staying there for countless of hours and then trying to do like freelance stuff on the side even on the weekends um, yeah the hours on like double basically double jobs pretty much yeah uh, i've i've been in that situation just like accidentally accepting too many contracts at once oh gosh or yeah. like i think i lined them up perfectly but then one project gets delayed and now i have two at once <laughs> yeah uh, and there are times you just don't know um I guess, especially for like the QA side, um, you don't know if there's going to be crunch or more hours after, I guess. Yeah, uh, that's true. Um, yeah, but uh, I do remember, uh, what was it? I was game testing MLB 2010. This was like way back, yeah, in 2010. I might have a copy of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was uh, one of their older titles. Um, I do remember switching from that department to online support that was still in QA, but more on the moderation side for games. So when games are released and they have multiplayer on it, the online support team would be there to kind of monitor the players and see if there's any anyone cheating or harassing other players. Um, oh. the, the one main reason why I switched to that was just because of the schedule. Um, There's a consistent nine hour, I think 12 hour on one day schedule that um, I just thought it would be easier for me to handle doing that and then balancing freelance stuff on the side. Yeah. Um, what about the, so, so when you, you mentioned that, uh, Sony had a bunch of layoffs. Mm -hmm. uh, when you when you work contracts, how do you tr like? Do you plan for the end of your contract? Like, do you do you assume f like? Do you try to line up gigs in advance for the, for like the end of it, so you can just hop onto another project? Do you kind of is there always a little uncertainty, like whether or not you'll continue with that company or not, and so you try to keep it free? How does that work with you? Yeah. So. Um, when my internship was wrapping up at Sony, like I, I thought I was going to stay, like I, I just, uh -huh. it, at the time, just very green, just felt like 
I might just stay there. But when I was told that they couldn't bring somebody in full time, things just switched. And um, yeah, I wasn't certain. So I just applied around. Uh, same thing with game testing. It was through an agency. And um, when a project's done, you'll return your badge. And you won't know for sure if you're going to get called up again to test another game. So that was when I switched over to the online support team where um, they have a bit of a contract or at least like uh, a longer length uh, contract where you'd stay for like nine months or about a year. And then it reminds me of something that you would hear from Microsoft, like nine months or about a year and then take a three month break. And then if they call you, you'll, or if you apply again, they'll be brought back for another contract. Um, mm -hmm. So I tried that out, uh, hoping that I would stay there for nine months. But um, I, I similar situation, I kind of wasn't sure what I would do after. And I knew I was going through a, a burnout phase with all these freelance stuff. And all, like most of my freelance contracts, like uh, they didn't really have a definite end date. It was more of just working on these projects until it was just done or good to go for release. Um, there were a few that I wrapped up, like one small model for a, a film. But um, for the rest of it, or at least like one main one, it was just ongoing. And I just wasn't sure where my career was heading. So I ended up leaving QA like just less than a year before I joined. And mm -hmm had like a month gap of deciding what to do like i was still doing the freelance stuff but just kind of floating around wasn't sure if i should focus on 3d art or switch to like environment art or just kind of like try and do something else um yeah, but so i know managing, managing that uncertainty seems like a really common thing for a lot of freelancers uh like when do jobs start? When do jobs end? Where to, where to go next? What is more stable? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's just like really common. And I do, one of my favorite things about freelancing is the fact that I do understand that a lot of companies, like they just need to downsize after a project. And I like how a lot of contracts, it's like, okay, this contract ends on so-and-so date. I will operate on the assumption that it won't get extended <laughs> and I just feel safer that way. Um, and like, that's my way of mitigating the risk and mitigating the uncertainty. Uh, and, and as a freelancer, like I kind of like when I started freelancing, like I started by looking at a bunch of advice elsewhere and I'm like, how, how to freelance? What is freelancing? And, <laughs> and, yeah. Then it, it all of that advice really led me to start thinking of it almost like a business. Like, I really do feel like I have like a little lemonade stand where instead of selling lemonade, it's my skills. Like, I will write code for you. Uh, and so, as in that mindset, I think of it as um, like I'm always looking for work, basically, even if I've got a gig. And like, whereas previously like the whole looking for work mindset, you, you get very cozy when you have a job and you're like, oh, I'll be in this job for a, lot, a long time or I'll be here for quite a while. Mm -hmm. 
but once but the whole freelancing mindset and the contracting mindset that's really made me just be like no you're always looking for work like you never stop <laughs> that and that i think that helps or it, it has helped me yeah i, I guess uh, once you see it the other way where you're pretty much like an independent contractor um yeah and there have been times when i fought for independence like random clients usually small companies like startups they they like we need a programmer on our team and so they they contract me up and then they're like you know you're the only programmer on our team you should be a full-time member of our team and in those cases i'm like well i don't know if i actually want to join us startup <laughs> like yeah. startups go up and down even if it's like a game studio startup yeah um and i just in again i feel like the whole freelance mindset mitigates me from a lot of risk and like i'll only work if i get paid blah 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 i'm not expected to basically sink with the ship <laughs> if a yeah. company goes down um so that's another way that i found the whole model pretty freeing but i do know a lot of people like they kind of grow to hate all of the uncertainty that grow that goes with it, especially people who are trying to raise a family. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know there were a few things that I was avoiding when I was looking for contracts, like anything that's like royalty based or, um, mm -hmm. delayed what payment. Is, yeah. Anything like that. Um, I was always revenue trying to like revenue share. Right. That's the one. I would just like avoid it, and even on the projects, like I would read the descriptions. Like if it's a an MMO game or MMO RPG, like I just wouldn't even bother to try and apply for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've done some vol volunteer stuff. Or like some of it ends up becoming a volunteer type of gig once you realize like there would be no payments. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, I know at that time I was I've had those for... kinds of gigs too. Oh, <laughs> I once had a gig where the client was like, "There, like we agreed on a rate, but we completely overblew the hours that we agreed upon." And I'm like, "Whatever, I I don't want this. <laughs> like this client's only one person, and I don't want their project to die because of me. So I'll, I, I like tortured myself to fit them into my schedule. It was bad. I really regretted it." Oh. <laughs> I, I, I was yeah. I was too nice. I felt like a landlord trying to kick someone out. Except <laughs> I was except I was basically like collapsing their business. <laughs> oh yeah. I I know I've gone through one where it's like it was actually an internship turned into a volunteer thing. Um uh -huh. it, it it was just kind of odd. Um but the team was pretty nice, but I guess the role and the position and staying there longer than I expected it was unexpected um mm -hmm. but there were i know i've gone through others where um i knew when i was in that transition doing environment art i joined a team where uh, their thoughts was getting money like through revenue share once it was released but the way i was seeing it was just trying to like get familiar with the environment art sort of thing or the workflow but um yeah, yeah, so how did was, you transition more to environment art? Was it through that? Um, it, it took me quite a while to kind of get adjusted to it. So like when I left QA, my portfolio screamed out, just didn't know, <laughs> just like sporadic 3D generalist, yeah. either animation or 3D art. Um, and I, I was in film, 
uh, VFX around that time, like after I left QA, uh, just there was an opening around that time and just did that. And uh, during that time when I was in film and VFX, I was just grasping environment art on the side. And uh, I want to say around 2012, uh, things started clicking. Um, did my general sci-fi corridor environment art scene on the side. Uh, was able to go to like GDC and get my portfolio ripped by a bunch of art directors. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I've seen those sessions. Oh. On the schedule. Yeah, on the GDC vault or? Yeah, no, like I just reading them on the schedule. There's like multiple uh, like art portfolio, not even art, but just general purpose portfolio like dumps. I think the, oh. the Writers Guild has one. Not the Guild. It's not called Guild, is it? The Writers Group. Uh, whoever runs the Narrative Summit, they usually do that on like Tuesday lunchtime. Mm -hmm. uh, and I might have seen a few more floating around. Oh, yeah. So like the, the ones that I remember the most were like the ones that were very cutthroat and really hit it hard. Um, I knew like right when I went to GDC and went to like the career pavilion to get my portfolio reviewed. Um, I'm trying to remember his name, but I know it was the art director at Ready at Dawn at one point. Um, he, uh, I was showing him my art pieces, my portfolio on my tablet, and I was telling him that I'm an environment artist or aspiring environment artist. And while I was telling him that, and he was looking at my tablet while I was scrolling through like props and three assets, he just quickly stopped me like halfway and told me like you're telling me you're an environment artist but i don't see any environments yep. and <laughs> just it hit it so hard i had to like try to find that one like urban alley i made this was before i made a sci-fi quarter but it was just like this very bad urban alley um but yeah like that wasn't the only time uh, a year after or two years after uh, i want to say a year uh, i had an interview at high moon in carlsbad and I had more pieces. I had that corridor and um, other 3D pieces that I did either through freelance or I, I guess on the side. Um, but I do remember either the producer or somebody, this was when they were working on Deadpool, but they didn't announce it yet, or they uh, were just working the, on The film or the game? Uh, the game. Uh, I think this was like 2013. Okay. Yeah, they're working on the Deadpool game. I, I think they teased it. But yeah, um, during that on-site interview, the producer just was looking at my resume and, and there were him and two other guys were looking at my portfolio on a projector screen. And he told me that, like, I see you working on all these movies at the film studio. Uh, do you have anything to show for it? And the VFX studio that I was at was just for stereo 3D. It's where you convert, or you would see movies in 3D with 3D. So they classes. shoot the they shoot the films in 2D, and they the studio will convert it to 3D and do that grunt work of like frame by frame, making sure it looks good in 3D. Or did they right. specifically specialize in like general purpose special effects while also um, making sure it worked in 3D? So the uh, the studio that I was in, yeah, focused mainly on converting movies in 3D. Okay, um, and most of the time we couldn't show it. Uh, we were able to grab a few clips of some movies and then put in our portfolio. But at that time, 
I this was in compositing. Um, I was in that studio as a compositor or a stereo compositor, mm -hmm. and I wasn't able to put those in my portfolio, didn't think there was a need. So it was kind of hard for me to, to explain or show what I've done. I just have were those you, titles on my resume. Were you able to say what films you worked on? Um, once they were released, yeah. But okay. while we're working on it, we couldn't say it. Right. Um, this was around the time when uh, we were working on the Man of Steel movie, like converting that to 3D. Uh, it yeah, was hard. So like, I think it's like if you could have said it, like you could have said, yeah, we converted Man of Steel to, from 2D to 3D. And if somebody wanted to evaluate it, they could just, I, I guess, I don't know if it was it, the only way to see it in 3D would be either to have access to a 3D TV or to go in theaters if it was still playing. And yeah. at that point, it's kind of weird. Yeah. But, the, but yeah, I, I just feel like it would have been easier to be like, yeah. If you want to evaluate how well we converted it to 3D, go watch it in 3D. <laughs> and then that's yeah. kind of easy. You don't even have to like embed anything in your portfolio. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, it is kind of tough. And I've worked on a lot of projects that are also unannounced. And I, as a freelancer, want to add them to my portfolio, but I can't. And mm -hmm. so my biggest workaround has been to just list the company names. And like literally on my website, my web portfolio i just slap on the company logos of every little studio that i worked with and if they don't have a company logo then i'll make one myself <laughs> yep, it's just yep. like a random image with black text no. uh, and then i'll link to their page to show that they exist uh mm -hmm. and that'll be it i never ask permission of any of my clients to do that because i'm like no i need to be able to tell people that i'm actually being hired and um like these are people who think that my skills are good like enough to be hired for uh, yeah even if i don't have anything that i can show and i in fact i don't think i've i don't think i've posted a single screenshot of any of my freelance gigs on my portfolio like i don't think i've been able to do that really not even once it's once they're released or uh, many of them just never get released like the the company either just keeps spinning its wheels working on the project forever or they they appear to go out of business. <laughs> uh, I know a few clients that like they're still they're still turning along, they're still working on their stuff, and I'm like, but when are you guys gonna announce it and release it so that I can point people to it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't want to segue to something, but yeah, I've gone through that where like you're working on something and you're hoping that it'll be released and you're just like keeping an eye on it. Yeah. Just so you can tell people <laughs> what you did. I'm, I'm literally going to relate to like lawbreakers in a minute, but yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your, I guess your most favorite project to work on so far? So, Oh shoot. I don't know if I, how I should close. Um, oh, so after, yeah, after film, yeah. I, I I just left and went on focused my portfolio stuff. But um, that, were you talking about like projects or just in general or? of all of the work that you've done in, in and around games? What was your favorite one that you remember most fondly, or you just like to brag about? <laughs> uh, there's two. I, I would say two. Um, because I, I, 
I have um, two portfolio pieces that were more like fan art pieces. Um, uh -huh. But I want to say the Rainbow Six Siege one was the, like a fan art piece that I just obsessed over. Yeah, just I saw that on your site and it looked amazing. Oh, thank you. Or, yeah, I kept playing the game way too much. So, like, uh, I was in military training simulation, like, four years ago or three, uh, working remotely. For them, they're, like, a government contractor in Urbana, Illinois, and I was just doing 3D stuff for them. And I was living in Bothell, like, around the Seattle area. Um, mm -hmm. But when I got, when I got laid off, uh, I was just playing Rainbow Six Siege around that time. Uh, maybe Battlefront a little bit, but just heavily on Rainbow Six Siege and um, trying to like update my portfolio, work on like Substance Designer. And um, it, it came to a point where I, I kept playing the game too much that I might as well just make a scene out of it. Kind of also give me a reason to stop playing the game. Mm -hmm. Got way too addicted. Uh, that's interesting coping mechanism. <laughs> it was weird. It was uh, kind of funny that. So like I I packed up and moved to San Diego, <laughs> or. Oh yeah, and I I moved back to San Diego, um, and was still playing the game and was slowly working on this piece. But once it was done, um, or actually before it was done, uh, I was posting like work in progress shots online and posted it around everywhere, and. Uh, Ryan Hawkins, who was the uh, like outsource manager at the time for uh, Bosky, uh, he used to be in the Seattle area and went to like uh, one of these game events where I talked to him there and saw him at GDC years before. But he randomly reached out to me like around August or like July or August of 2016 um, to do like freelance for the Lawbreakers game. And I guess it was kind of like one of those weird timings just because I was posting a bunch of updates on the Rainbow Six Siege stuff. Um, but yeah, it kind of led me to just doing like a prop for them. Uh, he had me <laughs> wanting to do like, like early on, he wanted me to do like a, a low poly vehicle. But like, I don't think I have a vehicle in my portfolio, but just low poly stuff. It didn't turn out the way that he wanted it. so. We just scrapped that idea and gave me a, a sketch or a concept of that that computer kiosk thing and just went with that. And after that was done, I was um, working on this Rainbow Six Siege stuff still and was slowly looking for freelance stuff. But that was definitely the project where I was like keeping an eye out and crossing my fingers that it would be released. But um, yeah, I, I kind of brag about Lawbreakers just because the one asset putting that on my resume like just <laughs> <laughs> it just came, gave me like a boost of confidence where it's like yeah gosh. <laughs> i yeah if i were to look at <laughs> titles that i've worked on there's a good like seven years of like <sighs> looking looking at the asset you made someone can clearly like if someone's being really cynical they might say oh you made a crate for them it, and it is there's like, all the, the the whole running gag of like crates and video games on top of that, but that that is kind of true. This would be like the the next gen sci fi crate. Yeah, it's, but it it's, it seems to serve like general gameplay purpose too. It's like nice cover, um, 
Yeah. And it's not quite cube. It's more of a rectangle. Yeah, I I when they would post updates of that game and like let the public or fans play it online like the betas. Did you did you see your acid in any of the public marketing materials? Uh <laughs> it took me a long time to find out where it was, but I, I remember like quickly getting their latest betas and trying to like run around the map to look for it. Um I think I found it like a month or two before I joined Heartsuit. But um like I I wanna say they were in one of the videos, not trailers, but more of like a tutorial video. Yeah, so you have a you have some images on your website. Uh, in fact, I can just post it on Discord. There. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if anyone plays that game enough to recognize <laughs> that spot immediately, that's where it is. <laughs> so, um, I cracked up so hard. So, uh, I wrapped up on the Rainbow Six Siege stuff around February. And was doing other freelance stuff. I, I think the one no notable one to mention was the Desert Bus VR game. That yeah. kind of helped me out to doing more, or at least showcasing more PBR stuff. Um, but when I wrapped up on the Rainbow Six Siege thing, I think it, one thing led to another. Did the art test for Hardsuit and joined. And um, the game, the Lawbreakers game, came out around last year, around August. Um, and I just freaked out, was running around that map. That's the uh, reactor map. And yeah. they duplicated that like eight times in the map. It's, it's just everywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, got, I got so happy about it that like I would go on Twitch to kind of see people's reactions, like what they thought of the game. And then like slowly slipped in like, hey, yeah, I made, I made something for that game. <laughs> <laughs> It's so great. Uh, but it, it sounds like the Rainbow Six Siege thing was your first real environment art portfolio piece. Is that right? The way like I see it, yeah. Your first big one, I guess. Um, yeah, to the point where I guess I, I'm okay with showing that uh, I've removed the sci-fi corridor and a few, I think I did like an indoor courtyard while I was learning UE4. Um, also, you removed pieces that you had prior that kind of didn't really make you look that good anymore. <laughs> it kind of, yeah, kind of. It's it's like a mix of, is it still relevant, and should I refine it or fix it? Because as the years go by, some of the art pieces will kind of be outdated. Yep. yep. Um, I have yeah. the same problem with my portfolio. Like, I have a bunch of, on like, my portfolio started as, here's literally every game I've ever worked on, and even if I didn't finish them, even if they're just ga game jam things, and then I was like, actually, this is bad. Like, it makes me look bad, <laughs> especially once your skills start to like level up, basically. Like, the, f the first game you work on often isn't even worth showing in a portfolio. And yeah. cutting, cutting stuff will make you look better. Yeah, I still battle between that. And I, I know at some point I'm going to have to like wipe out some of my old stuff. Yeah, um, I need to update mine. Mine's really old. I haven't actually put anything in the last two years on my portfolio. Uh, well, I guess if you have work, there's no real need to kind of like... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I know I was at the phase of wanting to update some of this stuff. So like over the past few years, I was just doing 
um, freelance while I was at Heartsuit. Um, they're okay with me doing it, but yeah, like now that the freelance stuff is done, uh, I'm still trying to like see if I can slip in some of those pieces and show them on my portfolio. But it does become a factor. I do remember hearing uh, from one of the critiques, like portfolio critiques, that like um, if they see a piece that doesn't look so good, that's just that's just gonna like overshadow um, everything else that you have. Yeah, that's true. Especially like uh, most most people hiring, most people recruiting, like they will tell you that they want to like every candidate. Like they're looking, just looking for reasons to like you. And so having a really strong portfolio piece might like they'll be on board immediately. They'll be like, yes, I want the person who made this exact thing on my team. <laughs> mm -hmm. And even if you have something that looks really hideous from years ago, it's not like the best light, but they'll still think about, but they did this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And like most, most people are not looking for reasons to disqualify you. Or if they are, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot in terms of a hiring process. Yeah, that's true. I, I, uh, so I, for, I wanted to ask a question earlier, uh, which is you said you found some jobs you found one job on the Unity forums and another one mm -hmm. uh, through an agency. Uh, what were some of the other ways that you looked for contracts and looked for work? Um, it's weird. Uh, it does become a factor of who you know. And if mm -hmm. you're connected with them, either like LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. Um, I know the art director or outsource manager from or either it was like LinkedIn or Facebook, but yeah, that helped. Um, Polycount, the Polycount forums for 3D oh, yeah. artists or game devs. That that's that still. Um, do you still uh, are you active on there still these days? Uh, kind of, just to kind of like see what people are making and jump in on the general forums. Um, shoot, sorry, count. There's also a question that somebody posted that I wanted to make sure I answer before. Yes, uh, this Ian piece. posted it a while um, back. Or is there another one? Yeah, if I knew any books or resources to reference um, while learning environment art, a polycount would definitely be one. Um, yeah, I'll look for the link. For that. I posted um, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, polycount, I, I wouldn't recommend books um, for environment art, more, but more of like... Um, there's no specific one, but I, I noted down uh, like color theory and lighting, if that's what somebody would be interested in, interior design or mm -hmm. architecture. Um, so nothing specifically just for game art or environment art, because uh, the game art side of things updates so quickly that the moment that they're printed and put in books, they might be outdated. I see. So focus more on fundamental art stuff, less yes. on looking for resources that are branded around game work. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. true. That's a good tip. Like, YouTube's always out there, and there's always something popping up online like, faster than print. I always, I always love it when people focus more on the fundamentals and less on, I just need to get this one thing to look good or to be right. <laughs> yeah. The, the fundamentals are laying the groundwork for your 
career as opposed to just unblocking you for the current project that you're on. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. Um, yeah, I know I have one book on those three, like color theory and lighting, interior design and architecture. Like I don't look over them religiously, but I, I have them stashed in case like if I'm kind of like interested again or curious to see what something in architecture that I may have missed or just might want to learn something new about it. But so just it looking, does relate. Yeah. So just looking through your Rainbow Six map, uh, like at, me as a non-artist, I just see a lot of details that I'm like, how did how did you even think to add details like that? Like like the zoomed in shot on that you have on the the texture that you made for the scratched hardwood floors. Uh, I oh. just thought, I'm like, there's just like this element that artists have where, especially if you're working on high fidelity work, that I'm just like, how do people even think of including certain details? And and I, I, I've heard other artists talk about this before where like you kind of have to learn how to see like an artist where you have mm-hmm. to like look at something and be like, yes, it's a chair, blah, blah, blah. But these are the specific details that help it feel real and these are the things that I'm going to have to try to capture when recreating that on paper or on whatever medium. And so like, how did you, I guess you learned that skill in, in art school. Is that true? And it also sounds like something that you'd practice a lot. I would say, yeah, it's something that I practice a lot. Um, I wouldn't say like I'm experienced or a master at it, but I knew when I was working on that scene, um, it was a mix of the game, like what, you would expect in the game mm-hmm. and what's not i guess naturally when you're seeing it and at the same time kind of um making things easier on the eye when you're seeing things like uh, i have a diagonal wall there that's kind of covered yeah um there's that yellow beige baseboard so um early on i had everything almost in 90 degrees and it just felt like there would need to be some space or a break between that. And so I just kind of like added a diagonal wall and I guess it fit a bit with that um, Southeast Asian look. So it's based off of like an office lounge in Singapore. Um, Mm -hmm. Mix that with the diagonal wood pieces on the top. Um, But yeah, there's a few cases where like, I would just walk in there and just trying to like imagine if I was playing the game in, in this map what I would see when I walk in and like the things that are placed to kind of have the camera lean towards a certain direction. Um, so when you, uh, when you made this environment, uh, were you prioritizing anything in particular? Like it didn't, it seemed like you were thinking, you were thinking of it from the angle of what if a player saw this, like the player is going to be around this height and, but did you think more about, I guess, level design? Like, the player needs to immediately detect this piece of information, that piece of information, and then figure out what's movable, what's not movable. Or did yeah. you not? Did you not think about that much? No. So, um, it is a bit of level design, kind of. So, um, in the game, any walls that were built in like concrete or stone, like brick walls, mm-hmm. the player can't. Um, destroy it or break through it. Um, wooden walls, the player can, and 
those wooden walls can also be reinforced. Um, and I, I think those grid-like patterned walls aren't breakable also. So there are certain walls where in the game also... I see. The so you, you, you mimicked it based off of the established like design patterns right. that the game so, had already, dis already set up. Yeah. So like um, once you kind of see that, you kind of assume, okay, um, the player would have to go in that direction to kind of walk in and that gas bomb or the yellow caged uh, mesh was kind of like, I don't want maybe a hero prop or like the main prop to look at. Um, and it's kind of the same thing in the game where mm -hmm. once you see it, it's part of the objective and that's what it's mostly based off of around. Um, Neat. Yeah. I got way too. It was kind of fun to do it, but I, <laughs> I had to like finish it at one point, and I think around February last year, I called it done. And <laughs> I worked on projects like that, except they're mostly like when you get sucked into something and you're just like, this just has to be done. I think I've only ever had that experience with, I guess I've, I've had some programming projects, mainly side projects, but I mainly have that experience with writing. Like writing blog posts, writing. like if if I'm writing like a postmortem of my side project or something, I will make these really long articles. That's like here's everything that I think is interesting about this project, and I will organize it in a way that I think is like flows nicely. But then I will just like relentlessly like not necessarily proofread it. For me, it's like super proofreading. Like in addition to checking for grammar, I will reevaluate like the structure of the whole piece and be like should i maybe this would be a better way to flow from this thing to that thing and like it's i get so sucked into it <laughs> oh uh, so I, I can relate we're like um you want to put everything in there but at the same time oh yeah yeah dealing with all the constraints and it, it's just such an exhausting process because like uh, my writing style for like blog posts and articles is so time consuming as a result. And it's almost like programming in that I do it best when I can hold as much information in my head at, at one time. So like mm -hmm. breaks, breaks don't really come up <laughs> as a thought. Uh, and so like I will blink and I'm like, whoa, six hours just passed. <laughs> <laughs> But it's probably better to do it that way, to put it all out there first and then trim it yeah. like after, instead yeah. of trying to see what you should trim out while you're making it or like posting it. Yeah, you should. Uh, but I, I definitely relate with the whole thing. Uh, I kind of want to, like, it's usually when it, when it comes to, a lot, when I talk to a lot of students about their job hunts and their portfolios there's always the conversation always brings up to, always comes to the importance of side projects like like this one and it seems like it's it, like i it really does seem in every case like a really strong side project that you get passionate about and shows just how passionate you are like even just he hearing you talk about this it shows you sound really passionate and you sound like you got super into it and people will be like, I want that energy on my team. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and let, let alone the results. Uh, and so whenever I hear students talking about projects like this or even other people who are not students, I'm, I always get a little jealous. I'm like, man, I want, I want 
to work on a side project of my own that I get really into too. Like I, as, like I've been freelancing for two years now, and I haven't really worked on anything for myself. Uh, uh, in like other outside other than in game jams, yeah. Um, which I've been getting kind of tired of uh, still, and so I, I've just been getting a little jealous. <laughs> it was it's a toss-up at the same time like the, the whole purpose, yeah <laughs> the whole purpose of the whole portfolio piece was is to get like yeah a gig or a job and um i'm at that phase now of like um maybe when i have more time i'll make another environment art piece or force myself to because I, I do like doing like freelance stuff or at least in the past year i just was wanting to do some um freelance stuff just kind of to work on projects that I don't know if I'll work on again. Like yeah. Augmented reality. Um, yeah. When I joined Hard Suit, like three months in, um, I guess Seattle Indies was a thing um, that helped mm -hmm. me look for some freelance and meetup.com. Um, but yeah, AR was popping up last year and that my bosses at Hard Suit were okay with me doing the freelance work for that so i jumped in on that for a bit um just because i don't know if i'll dive into that in my career years later um that's yeah after um, so you can get paid and still explore those topics and you just find a way you like oh this contract is in a field that i wanted to explore anyway so let's get it yeah yeah i i, I guess it can kind of be like a a bit of a humble brag sort of thing um the more projects you do in different fields, you can kind of like mention that depending on the space or depending on the event. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, now that the freelance stuff is done um, or they're done, I'm tempted to do more environment art related stuff, but because of the time, um, I'm debating myself in that situation too. Because like now that like you're in the studio, I guess once the game's done, you can kind of post the environment art renders and stuff for that game. Um, yeah. So we just passed the one hour mark. Uh, I should probably let you go and get back to your day. Uh, oh. Thanks a lot for coming here. And are there any like last tips that you really wanted to like spread before going? <laughs> oh, um, trying to see like if Shane had a question. Or whoever's in here. Yeah, yeah. Ask. I forgot to invite Shane to ask questions. Um, but guess off not. The top, um, oftentimes off the top, we have, oftentimes we have students who, uh, or even just members who, uh, just connect without a mic, like say they're at work or something. Mm-hmm. I guess to reiterate what you said before, like side projects do matter. Um, even shows what you're passionate about and what you want to do. Even when yeah. you have that free time, like looking for work and you have a project that you're working on the side, it just at least shows that you're actively doing something and aiming for something. Yeah, and when you're working on them, if you're unemployed, you at least look busy. Right. That's another, there's so many factors, but that's definitely one of them too. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Uh, we'll post a recording at some point. 
I say at some point because we're never very consistent about the turnaround time for our recordings. They often get done in like big batches, like a bunch of them will build up and then we'll post them all together. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, thanks for having me here. And um, sorry if I was kind of like mumbling and. <laughs> nah, it's normal. We all mumble. Cool. Um, thanks. Yeah, it was definitely fun. I, I do enjoy it. And it's tempting of me wanting to like try and do something similar to this. This is the first time I'm kind of like giving Q&A sessions or maybe like even if it was just one, but a few in this talk, it was definitely pretty fun. Yeah. And we're, I'm looking into right now into uh, like right now, all of our recordings are on YouTube. I'm looking into uh, setting up a podcast feed. That'll probably be an easier way for people to consume this content. That'd be cool. Yeah. And that's another reason why I switched like the recording nonsense earlier was like, let me find a way to record just the audio so that we don't have to, because if it's going to be audio only, then whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. All, All right. Cool. Have cool. a good rest of your weekend. You too. Thank you. See ya. Bye.